Purdy still has to prove himself. And if, you know, he loses this game and he throws a couple of interceptions, next summer you'll probably see people questioning whether the 49ers should move on or not. Maybe he can't win the big game. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman and occasionally the timing of this silly league works in our favor. We actually get coaching news before we record instead of after just works out just every, every so often it works out well for us. That is the case today. Got some coaching news coming and, and the guest we had planned lines up really perfectly for that. So we've got some coaching news for you, some reactions to that. We got Super Bowl to talk, all the stuff you're accustomed to. If you're not subscribed, you want to be. Go find us on Spotify, excuse me, Apple Podcasts. Go find our YouTube. It's it's the never-ending sport. There's no off-season here. There's no downtime here. Even with all of the head coaching vacancies filled, you're going to want to make sure you're dialed in as we take you through everything leading up to the Super Bowl. Anyway, yeah, so if you haven't heard, The final head coaching vacancy in the NFL is filled. The Washington Commanders have come to an agreement with Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn to be their head coach. Quinn, formerly the head coach in Atlanta before coaching the defense in Dallas. The Commanders are the last team to fill their head coaching job. That's all fun all on its own, but it works out so perfectly for our schedule. We were already planning to talk to Fox Sports NFC East writer Ralph Vacchiano about Super Bowl 58. And lo and behold, his division has a coaching swap. So without further ado, I had a chance to talk to Ralph, not just about Dan Quinn going to Washington, but what his loss might mean in Dallas for Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys. All right, Ralph, sometimes things just work out really well. That's not always the case with the coaching hiring cycle, but we had already planned to talk to you. You're traveling to Las Vegas to cover Super Bowl 58. We were gonna, we're, We still are going to talk to you about the San Francisco 49ers, but you are also our resident Fox Sports NFC East expert. And Mm -hmm. on this very day that that we're chatting with you, the Washington Commanders finally fill the final head coaching vacancy. They hired Dan Quinn. There's a lot of directions we can go with this on the Washington side and also what it means for the Cowboys as they lose their D coordinator. But off the top, what's your immediate impression of Dan Quinn heading to Washington? Well, I think it's a great choice. Um, I know the trend in the NFL nowadays is to go find the young offensive whiz. You know, everybody wants the next Sean McKay or Kyle Shanahan. And, you know, with Adam Peters, the former assistant GM in San Francisco, now running the show in Washington, we all kind of thought he might go in that direction. But you know, that's not always a great way to go. Sometimes leadership and experience are more important. I think that's what they get in Dan Quinn. He was the only candidate. Um, well, one of only two that had head coaching experience in their initial list. He was their only remaining candidate with head coaching experience. Um, he took a team to a Super Bowl, which is no small feat, especially in Atlanta, where they, you know, I think that was their first one. Uh, they don't, they clearly don't, uh, they're not a dynasty. They don't get there a lot. So it was quite a trick that he pulled off down there. And his players love him. Um, you know, he's not just known as a, an X and O, as an o, X's and O's guy. He's known as a leader. And, um, you know, we just saw what that means in Detroit with Dan Campbell, what it means in Houston 
uh, with D'Amico Ryan's, uh, you know, leadership sometimes can be way more important than schematic stuff. And, uh, you know, I think that's a really good choice by the commanders to, to get somebody who's done it before and knows how to get the best out of his players. I agree with everything you just said. And I look, the way it ended in Dallas for Dan Quinn has flipped a lot of people's opinions about him. He was a very highly thought of candidate prior to the Cowboys collapsing against Green Bay. I do think he's done enough to deserve another shot. But the one place I'll push back is I can't help but think of how you sell this to the Washington fan base. And I can't help but think of how similar a hire this is to Ron Rivera. It's it's an older coach, uh, a former head coach who lost his job at that organization, who did get to a Super Bowl but didn't manage to win it. And, I mean, look, the the proof will be in the pudding. Obviously, Dan Quinn can subvert those expectations. But I do think here in the early going, this might be a tough sell to the Washington fan base who, yeah, probably with the the odds that the commanders are going to draft a quarterback number two overall, I see – why fans would be clamoring for a young offensive-minded head coach. It doesn't mean Washington's wrong, but I do think this might be an uphill climb here at the start. Yeah, I can see why it might be a little bit of a hard sell. Um, you know, I always think that you know, if you, you Ben Johnson was an attractive candidate. Most people hadn't heard of him a couple of years ago. He could have been the next Sean McVay. He could have been Brian Dable. He could have been, you know, who knows what kind of a coach he could have been. Um, you know, I don't know how you sell Mike McDonald or Anthony Weaver or any of the other co- the candidates they had who had no history of having done it before. So it's all a risk. I think what you pointed out, though, is the similarities to Ron Rivera are going to have a lot of Washington fans on edge. The main difference, though, is the environment and the job description that Dan Quinn is walking into. Ron Rivera was asked to not only coach, but to be the guy in charge of personnel, which he turned out to be not very good at. He just did not get a lot of really good players. They made a lot of questionable decisions. Um, you know, they're now they now have a good structure in place between with Adam Peters at GM, with Dan Quinn as the coach. Um, also, Ron Rivera came in in the Dan Snyder era, and his main job was sort of you know be the steadying force. There's so much nonsense swirling around, so many scandals. Just be the guy that got the team to concentrate on football. Dan Quinn doesn't have to do that anymore. They are now going to be a football organization, we hope. Uh, you know, Josh Harris doesn't come with the scandals of Dan Snyder as the new owner. So um, hopefully they can focus on football and he can just coach, not worry about the personnel. And in theory, that will free him up to do a better job, I think they hope, than Ron Rivera did. So that's the big difference. Um, coaching type, obviously, older coach, defensive coach, I get it, but just two totally different situations. I do. I mean, that's a really good point. And I think another thing worth mentioning, if you're looking for optimism as a Washington fan, I can't wait to see who Dan Quinn's going to hire to run his offense. And it's hard not to think about who was the offensive coordinator at the start of the Dan Quinn era. It was Kyle Shanahan. For those of you who don't remember back that far. So with the right hire in place, handling the offense and handling the young talent over there, I can I can talk myself into this and and that's I think if I'm a Commanders fan if I'm looking for optimism it's who who gets hired to run the offense and oversee that and on top of that yes I agree with you Ralph I think Dan Quinn's selling point is the leadership aspect of it the culture aspect of it he did have a fairly healthy program in Atlanta he got them to back-to-back playoff appearances even when he got fired the the bottom never completely dropped out on the Falcons and harsh as it might be to say 
that sort of uh, consistency, let's say, has eluded the commanders for a long time. So even getting Washington to a place of, of being in the mix regularly, I think would be a win for Dan Quinn. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, changing the attitude so it's not looked at as a, a loser franchise. You know, the players will not necessarily feel it, um, you know, the way they had in the last few years. They, they It was sort of a losing mentality, uh, you know, a woe is me thing when things started to go wrong. I think Dan Quinn can change a lot of that. Now, the success is what's going to do it in the end, right? If he goes in and they're 4-12, and there's still going to be a franchise of losers, and it's going to be hard to knock that out of them. But um, he has a chance to definitely change the attitude and change the culture. And I absolutely agree with you that who he hires as his offensive coordinator might be the most important decision that he makes in his tenure. If he can get that next Kyle Shanahan, they'll be in good shape. But you know, all those leaders that we talked about, uh, Dan Campbell probably doesn't win in Detroit if it's not for Ben Johnson and his offensive coordinator. D'Amico Ryans in Houston, C.J. Stroud probably doesn't have that sensational rookie year as a quarterback if it wasn't for Bobby Slowick as offensive coordinator. They all have that great offensive mind, which you need in this era. I don't know who Quinn's going to hire for that, but he's going to have to find somebody because um, that that's going to be important, especially with a team that will presumably have a rookie quarterback that they take with the number two pick in April. The other aspect of this that makes it interesting, Dan Quinn had two years where he may have taken a head coaching job. He finally makes the jump in year three as Dallas defensive coordinator, and it's to a division rival in Washington. I'm sure Jerry Jones has expected this to, to happen for a long time, but it couldn't have been easy when he realized it was going to be a division rival that he was losing Dan Quinn to. I'm curious to see what this means for the Cowboys. Obviously, we don't know yet. You know, that there's reports right now that passing game coordinator Joe Witt Jr. might follow Dan Quinn to D.C. to be his D.C. Maybe he gets promoted to the defensive coordinator job in Dallas, but Mike McCarthy, he's a lame duck head coach. The, the Cowboys are not renewing or not extending his contract. He's in a contract year. I'm setting a lot of expectation that he needs to perform to stay the head coach in Dallas. What do you think that means for the defensive coordinator job as far as who the Cowboys might be able to attract? Well, you know, I've heard people say that, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for a coach who's sort of a lame duck to find a really good defensive coordinator. But the thing is, I'm not so sure coaches necessarily think like that. If it's a young coach who's looking for that promotion, He's thinking, I'm going to go there. We're going to be great. And this will turn into a long-term thing, or I'll be a head coach. You know, it's not an opportunity that they might necessarily pass up. Uh, you know, for some other coaches, uh, you know, Wink Martindale, uh, Leslie Frazier, they might be okay with a one-year stop if that's what it comes to, a chance to, you know, reinvent their career, reestablish themselves, sort of like Eric Bieniemy did when he went to Washington, knowing that Ron Rivera was a lame duck. So I, I don't think McCarthy's status is going to impede their search a defensive coordinator i think the bigger thing is this is really late in the game to suddenly be looking for a defensive coordinator sure. there's been a lot of coaching switches uh, a lot of guys that um you know might have been you know, denard wilson guys like that who were up and coming defensive coordinator prospects are suddenly off the board so the choices have dwindled a little bit which might be a problem but you know what we don't know is the cowboys clearly knew this could come so i'm sure mike mccarthy has had a list I'm sure he's been talking to some people hey just in case so you know, we just haven't heard what those names are yet. I think this is just my educated guess. I think if the Cowboys had their way, they would do this internally. Like I said, Joe Witt Jr. I think is a name to know. I think a lot of people are going to talk about Al Harris, the cornerbacks coach. But if that doesn't work out, 
if those guys follow Dan Quinn to Washington, it seems exactly Jerry Jones's style to hire a guy with some skins on the wall to kind of up the ante. You know, I mean, Jerry Jones is a salesman. Jerry Jones is not afraid of the controversy of a well-known defensive coordinator being in Dallas. So, I I mean, I, I think Leslie Frazier is an interesting name. I threw out Brandon Staley. I know the guy gets dogged on a lot, but I do think he could be a good defensive coordinator with the talent that's in Dallas. I wouldn't be surprised if Jerry Jones wants Mike McCarthy feeling that heat a little bit with whoever he eventually decides to hire. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, you know, there's if, if it's not a head coach in waiting necessarily, just a high octane personality or a known commodity. Um, you know, you certainly it's a veteran defense now. You want somebody with a little um, bit of a resume who can walk in there and impress the players. So um, all of that matters. Uh, you know, I know there's some guys that'll probably leave with Dan Quinn. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Jerry Jones. You know, if he wants to keep somebody, he's probably going to spend the money to do it. Although. He's going up against a billionaire in Josh Harris, too. They, they have money in Washington, so it might end up being opportunity or uh, you know a title bump, but an assistant head coach or something. But I, I suspect if the Cowboys really identify somebody internally, they'll find a way to keep him. But um, if not, you know it, it'll be hard. It would be better to me to bring in a Leslie Frazier or a Wink Martindale or Brandon Staley than some linebackers coach from another team who you think has promise. The stakes are just way too high for the Cowboys this year to do that. That kind of seems like their MO. As if we needed any more intrigue in the NFC East, we're going to have a little, a little coaching rivalry. Dan Quinn coaching against the team that revived his career in Dallas. Can't wait to see how that goes. But as I mentioned, Ralph, we did we brought you on to talk Super Bowl. You are traveling to Vegas to cover mm -hmm. 49ers versus Chiefs. Want to get your thoughts on the San Francisco 49ers and I want to start with this, like here on, on this show, we're sort of looking back at how we got here. And something I realized as I was prepping is, and I think, I think most people would agree, like from, from week five onward, it's felt like this was predetermined. Like it, it's felt like the Niners were going to be here at the very least, they were going to be playing in the NFC championship game, but it's crazy to think back to August and remember that the quarterback situation for this team wasn't settled halfway through training camp. Brock Purdy coming off of that UCL injury. Sam Darnold's in the mix. Trey Lance was still in San Francisco at the time. It's wild to think how uncertain this really was, considering how dominant the Niners have been for most of the year. It just shows you how much things can change in the NFL. And, you know, sometimes it happens late in the season. You know, I, I agree with you that the 49ers have been dominant. I think there was a time midway through the season where I thought it was going to be the Eagles or the 49ers. And then the Eagles fell off a cliff. Um, the 49ers have been that most consistent team though, I think. And um, yeah, it is. I mean, look, I think Brock Purdy is going to have to deal with this his entire career, the doubts about him because he is Mr. Irrelevant. He's not that first round pick and he hasn't reached, uh, you know, the status of a Tom Brady yet. Who's won the big game and people can not you know, forget where he was drafted. Um, Purdy still has to prove himself. And if, you know, he loses this game and he throws a couple of interceptions next summer, you'll probably see people questioning whether the 49ers should move on or not. Maybe he can't win the big game, but, um, you know, obviously Purdy had a great season. Uh, the 49ers faith in him was justified and they have built an impressive team around them. I mean, I, you know, I know they've lost some games. I know they've had some issues at points, but 
I don't know where the flaw is on this team. They've got the 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 battles of the trenches. They're they're terrific at both lines can be dominant. Um, the defense obviously is fantastic. They have weapons all over the field. Their running game is as good as any in the NFL. The coaching is terrific. Uh, you know, you can make a good argument that Brock Purdy might be the weakest link, and he's still an MVP candidate. So, um, yeah, they're they're so well built. I think anybody who saw them earlier in the year, especially once they pounded the Dallas Cowboys, you could say, okay, well, this is a team that really could make some noise uh, in January and February. Which, it is an interesting juxtaposition, though, because, I mean, you're right. And th- I think... In terms of narrative, they've they've been one of the teams of the season all year long. I think really before people were even really on to Baltimore, before the Ravens were firmly on the radar, I mean, the Niners jumped there immediately. They, they clobbered the Cowboys. They crushed Jacksonville back when the Jags were fighting for the number one overall seed. They beat up on Seattle. And, of course, you watched them run all over the Philadelphia Eagles. But the interesting thing to me is ever since that loss to Baltimore, they're clearly still a good team. I mean, they're playing in the Super Bowl, but it definitely hasn't looked as easy for the 49ers since that game. I mean, these have been heart-stopping playoffs for San Francisco. They win both of these games by three points. The defense is at, is allowing an average of 150 rushing yards per game. Am I overreacting? If I'm even with all that talent, I get it, but am I overreacting? by how tough it's looked for San Francisco since about Christmas. No, I think that's definitely a concern. I mean, the upside is, is that they find ways to win and pull the games out in the end. Uh, You know, that's, that's good. This reminds me so much does of the Eagles early in the season when they were just pulling out games and we were waving the red flag a little bit on some facts, but they were still winning. So it was good that they were winning. They still look dominant, but you have to pay attention to the issues and, that running defense has surprised me a little bit. And you would think that that's something the chiefs will certainly try to take advantage of in the super bowl Um, on the, the plus side for the 49ers though, they still have a lot going for them. They still have that very diverse offense. Purdy is still playing well. Christian McCaffrey is still as unstoppable as he's been all season long. So um, yeah, there are definitely things to watch and parts of the matchup that the chiefs I'm sure will try to exploit, but nothing so concerning that makes me think they're, falling apart or incapable of winning the Eagles. When they were falling, they were, they were having their trouble. You really had a feeling like this is going to cost them at some point. I haven't felt that way about the 49ers. I think they're playing with fire a little bit and they certainly could lose, but no flaw. That's so big that I think, Oh, you know, I, I can't see them getting blown out for example, in this game. Well, and then I guess the flip side, if I'm looking for optimism on the Niners side of things is they've definitely learned how to play from behind, how to rally, because and we, you and I have talked about that so much in regard to the Eagles this year of like, well, when is a close win good versus when is a close win bad? I mean, the way that they've managed to, to, to get things together in these playoff games and, you know, everybody knows the stats. They were 1-37 trailing heading into the fourth quarter. They'd never come back from a, from a halftime deficit of more than five points, whatever the stat is. I do think it says something. That, that a team like this with such a young quarterback has managed to erase these deficits in these high, you know, high profile, high pressure moments. Yeah. I mean, it's look, it's a sign of a great team and, and a great quarterback, right? When you're able to do that, you know, how many times uh, have we heard the stats of, you know, quarterbacks who have the fourth quarter comebacks and things like that? Uh, they're important and you have to learn how to do it and not even, 
you know, some of the most talented players, the most talented teams don't have that in them. So that's certainly good. And if they get into a position where they're down to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, well, they've been through it before. They know how to handle adversity. Um, so that's impressive. And for all the focus on Dan Campbell's coaching decisions in that game against the Lions, and rightfully so, it sort of overshadowed the fact that um, the 49ers were still able to put up those 27 unanswered points. They just steamrolled the the Lions for a period of time. And it was impressive. It, you know, it's, it's a little surprising after watching that, that it still came down to as close a game as it was, because for a while it looked like once the 49ers got going, it might not be any stopping them, that this might turn into a real big blowout. So it's just shows everybody, sort of reminds everyone that they have that kind of capability. They can score fast. They can shut a team down for periods of time. Uh, and all that is good. All that will come into play. Yeah, no, there are a few offenses in the NFL that when they're rolling can reel off two, three, four, five. I think they reeled off six straight touchdown drives against Philadelphia, if I remember correctly. I think so. I think that might have been, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's quite a bit of firepower. I cannot wait to see how they manage against the number two overall defense in Kansas City. Ralph, we're going to be checking in with you next week as we get closer to the game, previewing this on a deeper level. But for the time being, thank you so much, man. Uh, my pleasure. Anytime. Ralph's not our only writer going to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Our buddy Ben Arthur will also be there to handle things from the Chiefs' perspective. So having caught up on the 49ers with Ralph, we also made sure to check in with Ben about the Kansas City Chiefs, how they got here, and how they win Super Bowl 58. All right, Ben, the line that I keep using is, yes, the, the Chiefs are in Super Bowl 58. They've been incredible in the playoffs to get there. But I also don't want to rewrite history. I mean, this was a team that struggled, particularly offensively, through a lot of this season. We were actually talking about it heading uh, before we recorded this. Heading into the playoffs, the Chiefs were as big as plus 900, plus 1,000 as a betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. Like, they were not highly thought of before they put this three-week run together what do you make of, of the way that they were able to overcome those inconsistencies and, and look like the team that, that we associate them with getting to all these Super Bowls? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, Dave, I mean, this is like a different iteration of the Chiefs, first and foremost. Like, we, we've grown accustomed to, like, in this Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era, for their dominance uh, to look a certain way, right, in terms of, like the dynamic offense, having Tyreek Hill as a deep threat, uh, you know, a slightly younger Travis Kelsey. But but what this team has become is one led by defense. I mean, they, they've drafted well on that side of the ball the last couple of years. They've added a couple of key free agents here and there that have helped. But but this is the best defense by far that Patrick Mahomes has had, uh, that, that the Chiefs have had in this Mahomes era, and I know that's been talked about a lot, but but that's that's really the thing that stands out the most about this team because, as you kind of alluded to, I, I mean, this Chiefs team, like offensively, has just been so inconsistent, and they've had uh, the penalties, and and in in terms of drops, I mean, their wide receivers dropped more passes than any wide receiver group in eleven years. Like that's <laughs> that that's how bad it's been. Like it's not like maybe that same. Maybe it doesn't look. The same way uh, for them in terms of winning, but they still have Andy Reid. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey has shown he's still 
you know, probably the best tight end in the NFL, but, but that's like all buffered by uh, what, what is a, a championship caliber defense? Like they rank, uh, what is it? Fifth or sixth in, in DVOA, uh, second in scoring, second in yards allowed. I mean, this is a, an elite defense. And I think despite kind of the struggles they've had offensively, that's kind of given them a sense of comfort. And I know Patrick Mahomes is, said that has said that too like in the in the Ravens AFC championship game where they didn't score in the second half but Patrick Mahomes said in the post game conference like he knew like if he didn't turn the ball over that they were probably going to win I, I mean and and knowing that you have Lamar Jackson on the other side and what that offense is capable of so I think I think that's the biggest thing about these Chiefs is that this is kind of a different iteration of the Chiefs that we're seeing uh, one one led by defense. It's a really good point. And I think that the defensive performance against Lamar Jackson in the AFC championship game, if you weren't paying attention to what they were doing before, I think that pretty firmly put them on the map to, to back up what you just said. It's pretty striking when you look at it. I have it right here in the, in this, in this Reed Mahomes era where they've been going to all these Super Bowls, their best defense prior to this year was seventh in points, 17th in yards. So like their their best Super Bowl defenses have been middle of the pack caliber groups. And this one is two and two. So, I mean, it, it really is a striking difference. They actually only allowed five opponents this year to score more than 20 points. And nobody's reached 28 on them all season long. Green Bay scored 27 in that win uh, back in November, early December. And that's about it. What do you what do you think the biggest key to that jump is? Because to your point, I mean, a lot of these guys have been here over the years, but it really seems like they've clicked onto a different level this season. Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things. I mean, number one, like you still have Chris Jones, who's a superstar right at the defensive tackle spot, like top three at his position. But I think like when you look at last year's team, like, a lot of these guys on defense were younger. Like they didn't, I think this year, like they have a year under their belt. They've built up that confidence. Like I think of a guy like Trent McDuffie, who was obviously a, a high, high pick, a first round pick out of Washington. Um, and, you know, now he, he just has that year under his belt. Like he was an all pro nickel this year. I think the, the, this chief's defense is actually one of the youngest in the NFL um, but but I, I think just going through what they did last year uh, just kind of even fortified them even more, just having that experience and those reps under their belt and playing together more. Because I, I think last year, like they, they had a lot of uh, kind of younger, new pieces that were still kind of figure themsel figuring themselves out, whether it was um, uh, like McDuffie, as I said, or a, a, a Nick Bolton or uh, Mike Don that Dana uh like like guys like that but but I think just having that additional year under their belt has has really paid big dividends uh in and just that they've drafted well right like may, maybe they they didn't look like they do now like as soon as they were drafted but but I think some of these guys being in year two now or year three year four I think we're seeing a lot of those guys uh, start to click and uh, I think yeah I think because of that like like they've just been able to carry 
this Chiefs team and 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 we know like the deficiencies they've had and I think they've kind of carried that on themselves uh knowing that okay like we're probably gonna have to lead the way to a degree I mean from pretty much from the start of the regular season to the end it was a slog offensively and, and really from like September uh this defense was playing at a high level and I think early on like everyone in the Chiefs has kind of figured out okay like uh like there's obviously the hope that the offense would kind of look like the way it's had but I think from the jump like the defense has been the most consistent part of this team mm, and absolutely so I, I think they've just been able to build off of that just knowing that okay like it's okay that this isn't the previous versions iterations of the Chiefs like maybe we're defensive led and, and that's okay and I think they've kind of accepted that and um I, I think that's worked out for them I really and I think you see this you see this all over the league like the way the salary cap works you, you're not going to be able to have well maybe the San Francisco 49ers can and we'll get to them but you're not going to have a fire breathing monster at every single position but you got Chris Jones you got Legarius Sneed you got Trent McDuffie and I love the way the rest of the pieces on this defense kind of puzzle in behind that you got I mean they got four linebackers who can do a little bit of everything whether it's Bolton whether it's Drew Tranquil whether it's Leo Chanel all of that piecing together an incredibly versatile and capable secondary I mean Justin Reed obviously deserves mention uh, yep. I just I really like I said I, I love the way that it all kind of pieces together behind the two or three headliners I think they're very deep I think they can do a lot of different things when asked I cannot wait to see that matchup against San Francisco's offense. And you're right. I mean, this is this is a defense-led team. But I am interested to see, or I, I'm interested to have seen the evolution of the Chiefs' offense. I mean, it's still, this is not the Chiefs that we're used to. Even I mean, even in the playoffs, you wouldn't call this an explosive unit. I mean, they jumped on the Ravens early and didn't do much the rest of the way. They've settled for a lot of field goals here over the last five, six weeks of the season. But it is interesting to see. It seems like they've found what they trust and they're just leaning into it. And that's obviously Travis Kelsey. But then the other guy is Rasheed Rice. I looked this up. Rasheed Rice, it took him until Thanksgiving to get 10 targets in a game. And then over the final six weeks of the season, they just they just kept going to him. It's very interesting that a rookie receiver is their most reliable option in the passing game. But that that that's what I would expect to see in this matchup is between Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. Just lean on what you, what you can count on because it's been so few and far between. Yeah, that's what it has to be for the Chiefs, and obviously in the in in the run game, like Isaiah Pacheco too. Uh, to to a lesser degree but but yeah I mean I mean these are the two by, by far like their most dependable targets I mean the Chiefs haven't gotten what you expect like like we thought Kadarius Tony was gonna like you remember like the chatter like this time last year where people were like okay like yes. like the number one option yes. for the Chiefs in 2023 and that's completely fallen off and then his whole injury debacle whether he's actually hurt or not that's been interesting so you haven't quite gotten what you expected from him uh what is it who who else is kind of in the picture for them uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling had a really slow regular season I, I will give him credit though like in the postseason these last two years 
he's really like just played at a really high level, but in the regular season, you weren't getting much from him. And so it, it, it took, it took a while for the chiefs like past game to figure out like kind of what worked, right? Like, you know, you have Kelsey and I know he started slow, but like beyond Kelsey, it's like, okay, who else is going to really pan out? And that that's become Rasheed Rice. And as kind of expected, right. A, a rookie, uh, even a highly touted rookie isn't going to uh, always like just play lights out to, to like start his career. Like even if he's super talented and uh, but over time, like he's gotten more comfortable, he's kind of started to look like, as you said, like from November on, like that possible wide receiver, one of the future and really just force feeding them, right? Kelsey and Rasheed Rice, like if that's what works, that's what works. And if you could maybe hit MVS on those deep shots on occasion, that helps too. Um, and, and then getting Pacheco or Clyde, Clyde Ed Edwards, a layer two going in the run game, but that's that's what this offense has to be. This isn't super explosive that they're maybe not super deep, but like top heavy, if you can kind of continue to lean on that, how it's worked like pretty much for the last two weeks of the regular season in these first three playoff games. I mean, that's just kind of how it has to be for them. I I'm glad you brought up Tony. Cause I want to give the chiefs credit for problem solving. I think we fall into a trap sometimes of like these, these Super Bowl teams just do everything right. Like how often when the Patriots were on their run, did everybody just say like, Oh, the, the Patriots have done it again. They just, they get it on a level that nobody else does. The chiefs have whiffed a few times here, particularly on offense, like the trade for Kadarius, Tony. I mean, he helped them win a Super Bowl, so yeah. I'm sure they don't regret it, but Tony has not panned into the guy they were hoping he would be. Sky Moore is another one. They spent a yeah. big pick on him a year ago. He hasn't caught a pass since December 3rd and hasn't had more than 250 yards in a season in either year of his career. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I mean, he 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 contributes as a role player, but they spent a first round pick on him. Clearly hasn't lived up to that type of billing. And they just they they figure out how to pivot. They're like, okay, Rasheed Rice is the guy that we can trust. Let's focus on that. Isaiah Pacheco is the running back that that makes that can make plays for us. We're gonna pivot to that. So I think it's important to remember that. You know, even these dominant teams that win every year, they're not going to be right 100% of the time. It's about how you kind of pivot and find what works best after that. Exactly. Yeah, it's all about adjusting, Dave, and and looking at their Super Bowl opponent in the 49ers. Like, they whiffed bad on Trey Lance, right? Like, how True. much of a disaster would that be for them if Brock Purdy, the, the last overall pick in the draft, didn't turn out to like be their franchise caliber quarterback like if if that didn't happen like who knows what what the 49ers would look like right now and so yeah the the best teams the best run organizations figure out a way to adjust on the fly and I I think as good as both these teams are like I I think they're they're two like glaring examples of 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 that fact I think, you know, it's it helps to have Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones as like the foundations of your roster. But I think that's what this season is all about for the Kansas City Chiefs. Just a masterful job of pivoting and, and leaning into the strengths of your team. And I would have never guessed as recently as December that this team had a Super Bowl run in them. But here they are just as impressive as ever.
Ben, we're going to talk to you next week when you get to Vegas uh, to cover this thing, but we appreciate the time for now, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. So much of the focus for the next week is going to be on the Super Bowl, and understandably so. But here at the end of the show, I wanted to take some time to make sure you've got your attention on a different bowl in a very different place. That would be the Senior Bowl, which is happening in Mobile, Alabama this weekend. Practices have already happened. They've already been underway. Ironically, that's the meat of it. The practices are where the NFL world goes, and not that many people stay for the game. But you can tune in, and I highly recommend that you do. If you want to know about the next wave of talent, maybe the next rookie superstar that we're talking about on this show, if you're unfamiliar with the type of talent that turns up, it's, it's all the top seniors heading into the 2024 draft. And even this year, they've changed the rules a little bit to allow for a handful of underclassmen to go and compete just for reference, this time last year, Puka Nakua was there, Jaden Reed, Tank Dell, some of the best young receivers in the league this year. The year before that, Reek Woolen was on hand in Mobile before becoming a star for the Seattle Seahawks. Nico Collins was at the Senior Bowl in 2021. How about Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith together before becoming the rock of the interior of the Chiefs offensive line? quarterbacks Jalen Hurts has been there Baker Mayfield was at the Senior Bowl even going all the way back to Dak Prescott the future of the league is in Mobile it's not a stretch to say so I think it's worth spending a few minutes on if you're not familiar with this game if you're not thinking draft yet let's just go through some prospects that I think you're going to want to know based on what we're hearing down in Mobile like so many things with football I think you got to start with the quarterback position and the two to know in Mobile this year. Oregon quarterback Bo Nix, Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr., maybe you're familiar with them, two Heisman contenders, two guys that had their teams in the mix for the college football playoff this year. It's interesting because, uh, look, you're, you're going to hear a lot in the draft cycle. Caleb Williams, Drake May, even Jaden Daniels, I think they have solidified themselves as guys that are going to go, I mean, May and Williams, obviously, in the top five. Jaden Daniels, Somewhere in the top 15 would be my guess. Knicks and Penix are interesting, though, because depending on how they do in this process, you could convince me that they go high up the board in the top 15. You could convince me that they fall into the second day of the NFL draft. Looking at Knicks for starters, if you're not familiar, this is a guy. He looks like he's meant to be a franchise quarterback. 6'2", rocket arm, very athletic, can move the ball. The issue with him is going to be the consistency, and that's what's been interesting about these senior bowl practices is how consistent are you with your throws? How good do you look in the structure of the offense? I think Nick's got a lot of criticism during his final season at Oregon for how simple their offense was and how little it asked of him. So what does that mean at the next level? How well does he process that? I can't wait to see him play on Saturday. I'm The athleticism and the ability suggests he could go in the first round, and I, I wouldn't be surprised even with whatever other knocks you can come find for him. I think the comp that I've heard that makes the most sense, Jalen Hurts, and not Jalen Hurts now, the second-team All-Pro, but Jalen Hurts coming into the league. I think Bo Nix is a guy that's still got a lot to learn about the finer points of playing the quarterback position, but the athleticism, the arm, give him a chance to do that. Talking about team fit, I'm looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially with Arthur Smith there as a team that makes a lot of sense. It's a team that already has good weapons in place. Arthur Smith knows how to use play action. I think Bo Nix's athleticism would come in handy in that scheme. And again, 
you can design an offense around him that doesn't ask him to do a lot of the heavy lifting. I think that's awfully interesting. Penix, I think Michael Penix Jr. is a, is a top 20 pick, if not for a very scary medical history. Two ACL tears in college, two shoulder injuries as well. He'll turn 24 right around the draft, so age plus injury work against him. But, man, what a fun player to watch. Pocket quarterback. He's not afraid to air the ball out. His accuracy is really good. Just a really pretty deep ball thrower if you saw him play at Washington with all those receivers. I don't know if it would I don't know if 11 is is early, is is early enough or if it's too early. Maybe it would be with their second round pick, but I love the fit of Michael Penix Jr. in Minnesota with Kevin O'Connell and those explosive wide receivers. I do think Kirk Cousins is not a not a bad comp in my opinion in terms of passing ability, in terms of putting the ball out there for his receivers to go get. I think Kevin O'Connell could do a lot of fun work with him. Like I said, we'll see about 11 overall, but certainly a guy worth taking a look at. It's not all about the quarterbacks, though. Can I interest you in a center? Because from what we're hearing out of Mobile, the best player on the field at these practices and in this game, well, excuse me, not the game, because Oregon center Jackson Powers Johnson is so damn good he removed himself from the equation. He took he dominated for a day or two at practice and said, I'm good. I played my way into the first round. That's all I need to do. Go look up the clips of this guy dominating all comers. 6'4", 334 pounds, just a massive human being. Nobody's getting the better of this guy in the one-on-one -on -one reps at practice. He's athletic. He's mobile. Maybe it's my Dallas Cowboys background, but he reminds me a lot of Travis Frederick. If you follow the Cowboys, you know how high praise that is. And that's, it's early in the process, but man, Dallas Cowboys, keep an eye on this kid. I think it's not a coincidence the offensive line play has dropped off since Frederick retired a few years ago. Having that caliber of center in the middle with Tyler Smith, with Zach Martin, I think it would do a hell of a lot to revamp that running game. Might also do a hell of a lot to keep Dak Prescott's pocket clean. Yeah, center. 24th overall, maybe some people are going to say it's too high. I say, look at what Tyler Linderbaum has done for the Baltimore Ravens. Speaking of Creed Humphrey for the Kansas City Chiefs, centers are valuable too. Cowboys, keep an eye on Jackson Powers Johnson. On the defensive side of the ball, I think this is always a fun situation, and it's when a small school guy goes onto this stage. You're going to want to know the name Quinion Mitchell, cornerback out of Toledo. And it's easy to roll your eyes when you hear that a guy played at a school like Toledo. Well, who's he gone against? Who, who has he played? Is he ready for NFL competition? That's what's so fun about the Senior Bowl is he goes down to Mobile and spends the week dominating guys that played in the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12. I think Quinion Mitchell was seen as a first-round pick before he got to Mobile. He's definitely one now. He can do everything that you ask a cornerback to do. The only question is going to be, how does he stack up with some of the underclassmen ahead of him? There are several good-looking cornerbacks in the first round of this draft. But Quinion Mitchell, I think, secured himself a top, a first-round pick for sure, maybe even top 20, because the team that I like the most for this guy, how about the L.A. Rams? They traded Jalen Ramsey last offseason. They found some young pieces on their defense we don't know who their defensive coordinator is right now, but depending on that, it's a hell of a starting point in your secondary to have a lockdown corner. 
That's what I think Quinion Mitchell could be. I'm excited to see just how high up the board he can get, but based on his performance in Mobile, pretty highly would be my guess. Maybe number 19 overall to the LA Rams. And then lastly, one more name I think is worth knowing. That would be Georgia wide receiver Lad McConkey. And let's nip this in the bud right now. You're going to hear a lot of comparisons to Cooper Cup and Hunter Renfro, and I'll leave you to figure out why. But that's really not Lad McConkey's game. Like, he's not – I mean, he can play in the slot, but he's not a slot-exclusive player. He, he is at 5'11", 187. He isn't the biggest dude in the world, but turn on his tape, and that's not how he plays. He plays on the outside. He is a downfield threat. He can get past guys. He's been doing it at the Senior Bowl all week. He's got stop-start ability, the ability to get open. His releases are good. This guy can do a little bit of everything. And honestly, if I had to draw up a comp for him, I saw Daniel Jeremiah, who does this stuff better than anybody, came up with Doug Baldwin, which I think gives you a great idea of what he's capable of. Honestly, he reminds me a little bit of Puka Nakua, who was in this game last year. I get it not necessarily doing him a favor to compare him to the rookie record holder and a guy who was all pro caliber right out of the gate. I don't know if Ladd McConkey does that, but I think he has that type of ability to move all around the formation, to catch everything that comes his way, to get separation and get open. I'm really excited about Ladd McConkey. His size is what makes me wonder if he's a first round pick. Maybe he falls to day two of the draft, but any team that has a need for a receiver Bills, maybe Chiefs, maybe Indianapolis Colts, maybe I think he's going to fit right in, especially if he can go to a situation where there's already a good quarterback and a good offensive mind in place. I think he's going to be successful right away. And that's why my team for Lad McConkey, I would be so excited to see him go to the L.A. Chargers. I think Justin Herbert needs a guy who makes life a little bit easier on him, who creates that separation who has an extended route tree and can win at all levels of the field. This guy's not your lightning fast downfield threat. I think Chargers still could stand to add some speed to their offense, but I think Lad McConkey would make life really, really easy on Justin Herbert, and it would be a hell of a lot of fun for all of us to watch. So that's, that's just a handful of the guys. I mean, there's a hundred of them down there. I highly advise tune into the game, get your mind right for the draft, because if history suggests anything – these guys are going to be winning games for your team, getting to Pro Bowls next year. And my favorite part about the draft process, you can look back and say, oh, yeah, I knew he was going to be a star at the Senior Bowl. Something to watch, something to put on your radar as we get ready for the Super Bowl. All right, that does it for our show. That does it for the week. Next time we talk to you, it will officially be Super Bowl week. Like I said, we've got Ralph and Ben heading to Vegas to cover all things Chiefs 49ers. We've got so much Super Bowl content coming your way in the next week. We've got the postseason awards to worry about. We've got a, a full slate as we get ready for the game. We will cover it all. We will talk to you then. Make sure you're ready for it. Go find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Wherever you get your podcasts, your NFL news, we will be there to take you all the way through the big game starting next week. I will talk to you all Monday. Peace.